Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary. I'm your host, Kyle Gould, and today I am overjoyed. Like, I wrote that word and I'm really feeling it, so I'm literally overjoyed to have the opportunity to speak with Stephen West, the co-director and choreographer for Front Row Center's forthcoming production of the hit Broadway smash, Kinky Boots. Stephen has done a great deal of work with FRC over the years, having been involved in now over nine productions with them, receiving cat awards for hair and makeup for The Wedding Singer, and for choreography for The Addams Family and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which also took home outstanding production that year. So, needless to say, the last several cat awards have been hardware intensives for you. That's <laughs> an ongoing joke in our house with my husband also being a, a heavy hitter in the community theater ward, and I'm like, where's your trophies oh it's it's shady but it's funny because <laughs> he has more billings than me now <laughs> i didn't even know there was awards when oh, really? i started the whole thing and then all of a sudden they're like hey you're nominated for best choreography and i was like for what what did i do i just made you do things on stage oh i get a shiny trophy Ooh, yes. yeah so what got you into community theater I actually got headhunted. A good friend of mine, Chris Thompson, who works for Callaway Park and does some work with Storybook, he reached out to me and said, there is an upcoming production of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and I think that you'd make a great addition to it. Would you mind if I passed your info on to the director? Where Mike called me, and I was judging a dance competition in Nanaimo at the time, and we had just finished judging so it was like 8 p.m and the other two judges and i were going to go out for dinner and like have a relaxation drink after 12 hours of judging children's dances and i ended up canceling all that because mike and i got into a massive in-depth conversation about our lives and how drag and the queer world and theater are so interconnected and i got hired blindly they'd never seen me work they'd never seen any of my choreography they only went off of hearsay and who I am and what I did previous as a dance teacher. And I walked into my first rehearsal and kind of just fell in love and decided to never leave. And I haven't. And I'm happy I haven't. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of those shows and they've all been wonderful presentations. Adam's Family is possibly my favorite of the group of them. I had a lot of friends in that show. <laughs> And the transition of my friend Chelsea Friesen into the delightful little old lady is one of my favorite moments. And I don't doubt you had a hand in that. I love that you said delightful because her character was definitely not delightful. <laughs> she was abrasive, crass, and everything that I wanted. <laughs> it, it was delightful to watch. I, oh, yes. I, because I'm behind that fourth wall, I did not have to be party to any... <laughs> true quality of that but now chelsea when i work at the same company together so i get to see that side of chelsea on regular occurrence that makes me jealous because <laughs> we had so much fun developing that character together especially through the choreography because i was like okay so i want you to do it normal first okay now do it like you're old yep <laughs> after and it just the way that adam's family grew and we set a new standard with that show i think and it, it was you know timing right before the pandemic yeah. too but we set a new standard with that show i think personally choreographically for shows especially with front row center where it i didn't go into that show thinking that i was going to accomplish what we did which was really lovely and that cast put the pedal to the metal 
And every single 5, 10, 15 that we gave them, they were working on things. They weren't on their phones. They weren't getting a snack. They would be like, okay, I'm going to run to the washroom and come back and let's go over the tango. And I said to them, like I have with every show, is I'm going to start at the top and then ease off if I have to because there's no point in my eyes of giving people choreography because it's easy. Mm -hmm. We're in community theater because we love what we do. And if we're not growing in what we do, then we become stagnant in what we do. If we're not out taking classes, if we don't have vocal lessons, if these aren't things that we have in our regular life, community theater is a beautiful way for us to develop those skills further in a situation where then you have a deadline and you have a goal and you have that lights up moment on opening night where you're going to have people watching you do these things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's it was really lovely to see that cast specifically take on the challenge of what I gave them because it was not easy. <laughs> That's great. I loved it. I loved it. That sh- I still think about that show all the time. Good. Yeah. You should. It's a great it was a great phenomenal show and it's led to Kinky Boots now where you are co-directing and choreographer which is and stage design and hair and makeup oh my goodness and costume design you know i learned a really good thing recently having directed my first show and that is you have to let go because other people can be trusted to do work i agree with that (laughs) if there had been other people in the time that we were looking i wouldn't have picked up extra that was the that was the first issue we had was just getting people involved in the production side of things. So let's roll back then before we get into the trouble and trouble and everything else. The one thing I like to ask is, how did this project start? Did it start before you got involved in it or were you the one who brought it to FRC? What happened there? How does how does all of the things about relating to Kinky Boots start and when did that start happening? Kinky Boots for me was one of the shows that I kept putting forward when they send their surveys out. Okay, yeah. Uh, since Priscilla. I was like, what ones would you like? And it was in one of those. A while back, a while we did back. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah. And I was like, we need to bring more queerness and more drag into theater. It's inherently there just by the people involved. It does tend to pull a lot of queer individuals. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we like to play other people because we spent yeah. a large portion of our life doing it. So I can't even remember, honestly, where the first time the words kinky boots were uttered to me in regards to coming up to the season. I remember the call going out for choreographers and directors, directors specifically for shows, and I hum and hod, do I direct or do I just wait and choreograph instead? Because I would, it's a, it's a dream show. It's a dream show as a choreographer, especially as a drag queen who is a choreographer. Mm-hmm. It is It is a dream show to get to share the passion of drag through musical theater because you might be able to pull in someone that not would ever get the chance to be a drag queen without starting from the bottom and working their way up. And this way we are presenting new performers and existing drag performers in the angel world, which I love. So I sent my very heartfelt letter about how the story of Kinky Boots ties to me as an individual and how I would love to bring it forward as director or choreographer and i gave them the option Mm -hmm. i would be happy with either or it was very specific about if i were to choreograph only that i would really appreciate the director being someone of a queer descent like of a queer background uh just because we are telling the story of queer individuals in the show Mm -hmm. and that's something that i know is very important to the playwrights too so then i get a phone call (laughs) How would you feel about directing and choreographing? And I was like, oh, that's a lot. Who called you? Good friend, Jeremy Walker. 
the director of Adam Sandling. Yep. So this, uh, Jeremy and I developed a wonderful relationship through Spamalot and Adams. And, and as he took over artistic director for FRC, calls me and goes, would this be an option for you? How about, mm-hmm. what if this was the director? And I, I it became at this moment very apparent to me that, that my involvement in the show was secured. And I was like, <laughs> that it's even happening i'm not going to dance i'm not going to scream i'm not going to hoot and holler it's going to be a internal like yes and then char char bridges was presented to me as a co-director what if you okay. and char co-directed it yeah you're both new to directing new to directing community theater but not directing overall and i said absolutely char and i had developed a beautiful relationship all the way back to priscilla and i felt that the two of us were going to be really well blended into this this wonderful world to tell these stories of these individuals and kinky boots and then we started building the team and it was a lot of fun and it was me and char directing so you met with uh, jeremy you guys you and charlene and jeremy had a sit down was that over zoom or did you go to frc's offices wasn't even really a sit down it was a lot of phone calls and text messages oh okay yeah where our schedules the three of us our schedules are so all over the place that the actual process of getting us to be those individuals were great then we had like a production meeting to start talking about the idea got the script started reading through it planning Who would we be interested in helping? Like all that stuff. We started pulling people in and that's where the hiccups started happening. So we weren't right. getting the responses that we thought we would. And I think that's what we're living in in the post-pandemic world in theater, especially community theater, is that right now everyone wants to do everything, mm-hmm. but they don't want to do it for free anymore. No. And I don't blame them. But like, I have no problem for it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do for fun. This is my entertainment. This is what keeps me moving and keeps my brain creative and active. So when all of this started to to build and the ball started rolling, I was like, okay, there's a lot of obstacles with a show this big right. in a community theater setting. Absolutely. How big is your cast? Our cast is 25. An odd number? That's so strange. <laughs> one, it is strange, but one specific character is intentionally alone. Okay, yeah. In I the mean, show. Yeah, that's right. Right? So that, that, that individual... Um, we can get to the who the individual is later when we talk about the show itself. But like it was I wanted a big cast. Mm-hmm. It's a big show. Yeah, it's Our, huge. It's it's it, like even just the show without the cast, we could have done it with a skeleton cast and much less people. But it wouldn't have had the impact and the mm-hmm. variety and the diversity that we, we need in individuals in the casting. Absolutely. So yeah, the show's big. And like it, even hearing other choreographers come to me as we've been through this process and be like, you're brave. <laughs> I wouldn't touch the show with a 10 foot pole. You're brave. And that was someone that I respect very much in the community theater choreographic, like choreographic yeah. world. What was their concern? What are they telling you you're brave for? The dance numbers. They're not oh, like okay. the numbers in this show are not, they're not like, um, I always call it a ha cha cha number where like yep. the, everything stops for everyone to dance for a minute. You look at something like 42nd street or even South Pacific there is storytelling throughout the songs, yep. but it's a specific dance number. Yep. It starts as a dance, it ends as a dance. It's, it's, it's an eight count the whole time. In this show, it's not like that. The storytelling is done majority through the songs yep. and not in. So it, it, it's, a different, it's a different beast choreographically, which was the challenge that I wanted. Because mm. I love, I, I always quote, quote myself being the subtext queen. I will find subtext in every inch of a show. And just like thumb it into all the performers and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, this means this. No one's going to understand it, but it gives you intention behind what you're doing. And um, I 
had several panic attacks (laughs) (laughs) about that aspect of choreographing the show or even directing it too and wanting to do it justice in a way that is a worth the the size of this show it's a monumental show i have a little thing because the people who are going to come see it people who are listening to this might not know where the hell kinky boots comes from we can get into that so it's the 90s in in north hampshire in england northampton northamptonshire northampton (laughs) westchestershire yeah so there's the story yeah want to get into the story and it's there's this guy there's this guy so it's a 1994, I believe, is when it's placed in the 94-96 realm. Right. So, in the 90s. So, the film came out. The original film that the musical is based on came out in 2005. We, we have to go back further than that. Because the film itself is, is it? based on a documentary from a TV show <laughs> called Trouble at the Top. Yep. Where they went around and they asked people who were in struggling businesses, the business owners, hey, what are you doing differently to help make your business successful? Well, do I have a story for you, this one yes. said. <laughs> His name was Stephen Pateman, and he was on this episode of Trouble at the Top. And a couple of producers at the BBC saw this episode that was released and they thought, oh my God, we could turn this into a really good movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, it did not become a really good movie. <laughs> I disagree. I think that this, if that movie were to be released today, it okay. would be received with much higher gratitude and, and reception. Possibly. It It's not. I mean, it's a nice movie. Mm-hmm. It's a nice movie. <laughs> But it's it focuses on the wrong things. It does. It and absolutely does. And that's the problem with the movie. And we'll get to that in a moment with Harvey Firestein. And he sees the true element that is Kinky Boots and what the true story is behind that that's going to resonate with an audience. They didn't see that. Tim Firth, who wrote Calendar Girls, mm-hmm. is brought on by Miramax and BBC Films, along with Jeff Dean, who is not a writer. He was the lead singer for the pop group Modern Romance in the UK. (laughs) Okay. To write this movie after it was, after this, this whole documentary reality TV show, Trouble at the Top comes out and gets seen in 1999. In 2005, the movie comes out really lackluster reviews. Yep. Oh, this is just the full Monty. This is another spinoff of the full Monty verse. This is a Calendar Girls ripoff because Tim Firth also wrote Calendar Girls. Yeah. Very interesting to see that Calendar Girls and Kinky Boots are coming out this year, both of which Tim Firth has had a connection with. I like that that that's a, a thing. Both of those are movies he wrote that have been turned into much better theatrical productions. <laughs> I think that I think that the original story, when you go back to the movie in 2005, I remember yeah. going to see it in the theater with my mom. I did too. And I was like, this well, not is... With my, I didn't go see it with your mom. Sorry, I, no, I would have if she'd invited me. But <laughs> I, I went with, with, with my wife, Marie Claire, at the time. That's yeah. when we went to see it. That's an, an anomaly, just so you know. That movie only made $9.9 million at the box office. Yep. So the t- four of us seeing the movie are pretty much anyone in Canada seeing the movie. Like no yeah. one went to see this movie. No. <laughs> and I remember it like waiting for it to come out too and going to Blockbuster and like. Yep. I th- it was one of those moments. I to tangent and please by all means know that there's going to be a lot of them. I grew up. My mom, she knew that I was a queer individual. It was obvious. I am typecasted as obvious homosexual. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, she introduced queer culture and queer art to me very early. 
I remember seeing Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmore when I was like 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Yeah. Wesley Snipes in drag? <laughs> John Leguizamo in drag? Patrick Swayze? Patrick Swayze? The pa- most wonderful woman of all time? <laughs> oh, my God, Vita Bohem is my inspiration for life. I just want yeah. to be Vita. Every, I always joke that if I ever get on a reality TV show like Canada's Drag Race, when I walk into that workroom, I'm wearing what she wears in the New York. And if I make it all the way to the finals of that show, my final gown is what she's wearing at the final pageant. Because That's I amazing. just, that progress and that everything that that, that, that movie did for me. And then yeah. I remember seeing uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, not shortly after it, in a couple of years, because, you know, 10 might be a little young. But I remember seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show and seeing Tim Curry and be like there are people like me in the world (laughs) and it was it was that like revelation of like i have always transcended the idea of gender since i was a child and this then seeing kinky boots was like what because at the time i was still struggling with who i was as an individual and i was like i want to do this whole like female impersonation world but i'm a heterosexual god i lied to myself for too long (laughs) but like it 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 was just this really great world to see it. And that's that's where I get in when I when I saw the movie and then the musical. Right. Okay, so the four of us, your mom, my wife included, went, we saw this movie in the theater. Great for us, but there are two other people that saw this movie in the theater. One in 2005 in, the, in London and another when it was at Sundance when it premiered in April of 2006 in North America. Yes. Okay, so Daryl Roth an American producer, tons of credits to his name, Tony's and whatnot, saw the film at Sundance and Hal Luftig, a London producer, saw the movie in London. He's done like 30 musical productions. He's just a producer. That's what he wants to do in life is produce. These two people then reached out to the owners of Kinky Boots, the movie, and said, hey, we're interested in turning this into a musical production. This movie had immediate heart, soul, and humanity, and it would have an amazing place in musical theater. Mm -hmm. And somehow, the two of them were connected to each other because they initially had pitched these ideas to to, to Miramax and to BBC Films independently. Then they were brought together to say, look, you both want to do this thing. You're both saying the exact same things about this. You should come together and do this. And they said, okay, sure. So they both together bought the rights to do the musical production of Kinky Boots. What I love about that part of the story, too, is that like it coincides with what's happening in the story yes. itself. And yes. there's like this really cool parallel of everything. And it continues. Like you, as you keep going, I know what's going where it's going and what's going to happen is the same thing again. Three years later, it's 2008. Roth and Luftig are talking to directors. Now, they haven't written anything for it yet. They've just got the rights because they're not writers. They're looking for a writer to do the writing and they're talking to directors. Roth had just finished La Cage au Folle with uh, Jerry Mitchell, who was, go figure, the director and choreographer of that show. Mm-hmm. And they said, are you interested in doing both for Kinky Boots? Sent him the movie And he's like, I love this. And so they had their director. (laughs) Meanwhile, Luftig, because that's Roth. Roth knows Mitchell. Luftig, the the UK guy, he knows Harvey Firestein. And so he goes to Harvey and he says, are you interested 
in doing this. And by the way, I've heard on the down low that you're good friends with Cindy Lauper. <laughs> and we're just thinking that the two of you might be the perfect blend of punk and gay to create this beautiful masterpiece together. What do you think? And Harvey, four-time Tony Award-winning Harvey, I don't doubt, was like, of course I'll do it. <laughs> Tracy, I'd love to do the show. I think it's going to be great. I'll call up Cindy right away, and we can run, and uh, we'll run some ideas through it. We're going to have a movie night in my house. Do you and Roth want to come? Yeah. <laughs> So Firestein found the core of the musical right then and there. He sat down, he started writing, and he, we talked about this for a moment already, but it, why it resonates so much more differently than the movie does is because he said, the movie is all about the saving of the factory. But the diamond within the story is that at its core, the story is about two young men from seemingly opposite worlds realizing they actually have a lot in common starting with the need to stand up to their fathers. Mm -hmm. And that's timeless. The overarching patriarchal figure in so many figure people's lives looms ever present on the manifold of a person's existence and rising above that or crawling out from the shadow of it is oftentimes a lifelong journey. Firestein was like, I got it. <laughs> We're going to keep it going from here. <laughs> Screw the factory. It's just a subplot. We're going to really go is. straight in for the daddy issues. <laughs> the production line will just be kick lines. Like, let's, you yeah. can see how he pictured it. Anyway, so. Which is funny because with Cindy's music, it doesn't lend to any kick lines. It does Which is not. something that I'm very known for as a choreographer. <laughs> <laughs> and when we did Spamalot, it was the biggest complaint. They're like, there's five kick lines in this show. And I'm like, have you listened to the music? It, duh. They're like, but each kick line is different. And I went, Yeah. Who was doing the complaining? Because it certainly wasn't audiences. <laughs> no. And that's the other part. I'm like, what? What do you, I don't care what you think. You're just doing it. Figure it out. So the stage version of Kinky Boots is only 10 years old. It opened on Broadway in 2013 and won six Tony Awards that year, going on to win a Grammy and three Laurence Olivier Awards, which is the British equivalent of the Tonys, when it opened in London in the West End in 2017. So... With that pedigree before you, hmm. how did you approach directing and choreographing Kinky Boots? Especially knowing that David Mitchell did both of those things before you. I have a big problem with David Mitchell that did it. <laughs> my big issue with the original choreography, and this is where I started my journey in directing and choreographing it. The choreography, especially for The Angels and for Lola was not historically accurate to the time. Mm. He blended, and this is where I've come with my my process going in, is the he blended the idea of of modern drag at the time, mm -hmm. like in 2017 in London, 13 in New York. He blended what happened in New York around that time drag-wise mm -hmm. into a show set in the 90s. Now, the movie was set in the 90s, the musical is ambiguous. It really is. It's set somewhere in the early 2000s. We have flip phones. There's cell phones in it, which means it's after 2002 when cell phones were a readily available thing. So there's this like ambiguous area of where time is in the musical, which is really lends to the idea of making it timeless on itself. But 
the show is set in the UK. Mm-hmm. So the original choreography for the Angels leaned very heavily onto the Vogue culture that was very prevalent in the underground queer world in the 90s, but it hadn't made its way over to the UK yet. Right. So like the Vogue culture in New York was huge in the 80s and 90s, and it started becoming more mainstream mid-2000s, but it, that style of dance would not have been in the UK yet in the drag world publicly. So when I watched the musical for the first time, I was like, well, that's not historically accurate. <laughs> Which is where I then took my inspiration for how I wanted to approach the show as Shar, and I said, I want to tell the story of time through it. And the difference between small town and big city, mm-hmm. that's very that's very pushed in the show, is that London is this like dream world. It's an hour and a half away from Northampton. It's not even a long, it's like Red Deer to Calgary. It's not that far in our minds. Right. But in that heavily dense populated area of the uk you're looking at these people that look at london as this like i love this word Mm hoity-toity right they look at this idea of london being this this extravagant area and they're happy and content in their small little town Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden all these drag queens come in and then so what what i really wanted to push is is the span of time from when the story started from that documentary Mm -hmm. to the movie to the musical i want to tell the story of that whole time so when we are in northampton it's the 90s Mm -hmm. very much late 90s idea late 90s early 2000s we still have to incorporate the cell phones because they're very important to the show but then is there a kick line with uh, with cell phones yeah the whole number is just about (laughs) it's just the clip the the cell phone flicking open and closed is the kick line i love it right um but and then i wanted the world of drag because it's so mainstream now and Mm -hmm. one of the big lines that lola throws in charlie's face in the story is drag is mainstream and at the time it wasn't yeah. And now it's so mainstream that it's everywhere. Yeah. It's been my full-time job for two years. It's paid the bills, fed the animals, fed myself, and uh, uh, awarded me a wonderful life for the last few years, which has been really great. And I wanted to tell that story. So I've kind of separated the factory workers and the angels by two decades. Mm, okay. To try and show that like drag is the future, mm-hmm. and they're going to get there through their journey by accepting and learning and understanding who Lola and who the angels are. And, and this whole journey of saving the factory is, is not only just the goal to keep their jobs, but it's for them to progress and end up at the same time period as the angels and as Lola at the end of it all. And that was the big inspiration for me was telling the fact that like when this story came out, drag was a joke right? in pop culture. We go back to Tu Wong Fu. Yep. No drag queen goes all the way across the country in a car in drag. No. No. That doesn't happen. We don't sit in a small town in drag all day, every day. No. That's not our everyday go-to. But it was really fun and campy for the audiences to see these drag queens in Tuang Fu travel the country in full drag the whole time. Yeah. That doesn't happen. <laughs> doesn't happen. Drag is not comfortable. <laughs> we, I would not want to drive the entire length of the continental U.S., in drag no (laughs) i barely want to drive in my car from my house to downtown in full drag yes so like now we're seeing this this world of in and out of drag we saw it with mrs doubtfire too and i really wanted to lean into the idea of like the persona and the mask and everything we put on a drag is what builds us and makes us powerful but that power is able to be given to others by them 
figuring out how, why we do it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the story. That's that's my inspiration going into this was telling the story of how drag is so key in society today because the the idea of drag is so wild and we could do a whole podcast on just drag and like it, it would i would talk for hours but it's like it's already I, a, a topic of con- consideration because okotoks dudeney players just did 12th night entirely flipped the the genders for each for all of the cast so I love it was gender roles it I was it. entire it wasn't uh it was not gender swapped but it was gender bent like yeah. all of the men were women and all of the women were men and some did it very very successfully and some did it with some i don't really know who i am in this in these clothes <laughs> and that was an interesting component and element of that and really what you go to see live theater for yeah so we, I've definitely got the feel for what the process was like going from inspiration to getting this to the position that's going to be on stage. But what were some complications that came up from this inspirational point to now trying to realize your vision on stage that you might want to talk about? As I mentioned, Shar and I are also the set designers because there were aspects of the set that I, I, I had a lot of a lot of passion for. Originally, when we drafted the first ground plan, I wanted the whole set turned at a 45 degree angle to the audience. And I was going to play everything that was not drag incorporated literally away from the audience. Mm. I wanted to feature the bigotry and the hatred and the homophobia in the show as the way that it's perceived in society, where I wanted the audience to feel like they were passers by in an incident that was happening in the show as opposed to them watching it happen. Because that idea of allyship out there right now is is something that is, is a very blurred line. The queer world right now is under attack. Uh, the two SLGBTQ plus individuals, not only in Canada, but like especially in our neighbors to the States right now, are facing some really tough and hard times where, for example, in Tennessee right now, if I were to go to a drag show in Tennessee, I would not be allowed to paint before I arrived at the venue. I wouldn't be allowed to have my makeup on or my outfit on, my hair on before I arrived to the venue. And if I did, I could be arrested on the spot. Mm-hmm. And this is what really lends to the idea of what was happening in the 90s, especially in the UK and in larger cities, not as much in Canada because it was still very more underground in Canada at the time. But it lends to the idea of the growth that we've had in acceptance of queer individuals. But now we're starting to see that growth like be cut back and cut back and cut back out of fear. And and the pandemic did not lend to that with the, 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 the echo chambers that a lot of these social media and TikTok has ruined the world. And so this the idea of turning the set on the 45 and having the audience basically watching the show nearly from the sidelines was, was something I was very passionate about. And when we realized it wasn't going to work, we just n- turned it right onto the front to push that narrative. There's some fun things in the show that we we, we can Ooh, talk about that, yeah, let's that, do that like break it down. So we have the cast not even acknowledging the audience. They there's very rare moments where anything that the cast is doing is is being performed outwards to the audience. Oh, okay. And it's very internalized and it's very selfish. I want the cast to be selfish on stage, aside from the angels. Any single time that someone is portraying a drag type character in this show they have the ability to break the fourth wall they're given the option to engage with the audience and it's to fulfill that level of fantasy 
And to have this idea of, especially the fact that their term that the their coined as the angels mm-hmm. makes makes my heart sing because trans individuals and drag performers have been the angels to the queer community for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that that allowing them to have that play with the audience is going to highlight the queer storyline. Because yes, we're talking about daddy issues. Yes, we're talking about saving a factory. I found <laughs> sort of. A, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I found a different heart in the show. Okay, and the great. Heart in the show for me was the acceptance and understanding of people, and it, it comes down to the to to the line like accept somebody for who they are. Mm-hmm. And if we can show these people who we are, and that's what we do in drag is we're showing people who we are, a different part of us that we're afraid to show in society. And I want the angels to be able to play with the audience and and like I have them talking to the audience in moments that don't exist in the show because I wanted that fourth wall completely broken by the drag queens and the drag queens only because the whole world's a stage, right? Right. So them being in drag in this small town, they're still performing. Because again, we lend back to you know the idea of these drag queens always being in drag, and it doesn't actually happen in real world. Yeah, which was another thought. What if I had the angels come in not in drag and just in heels? And then I was like, no, hair and makeup would kill me. They already have to redo <laughs> one face. I don't want them to have to redo another six. So we have this 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 world of the factory workers being completely oblivious to the idea that there's an audience watching them. Yep. And the angels and Lola doing everything in their intention to incorporate the audience into what's coming on stage. They are all the dames in in a British pantomime. Yeah, exactly. The fourth wall doesn't exist to the angels. Mm -hmm. They are at a nightclub performing no matter where they are. Because they they are able to recognize and see, hey, I'm in a performance. So I know there's an audience. No one else is privy to that because they're not performing yeah and that brings us into the, the idea of drag in itself yeah. we we i have never done a drag show where, where there isn't audience participation at some point whether it be a tipping whether it be a response whether it be a wink or whatever or even just walking into in amongst them yeah right? or coming into the audience yeah. um so that was one of the the issues was the set design and how we wanted how i wanted to portray that the other issue that we faced came at auditions the role of lola is traditionally played by a uh, person of color. A black individual is, and and Harvey and Cindy have laid it out very specifically in the director's notes that it is to go to a black individual first. Absolutely. But then there's the caveat underneath that immediately that like we understand that in some situations and in some theater groups and in some schools, that might be a harder thing to obtain for the vocal chops and the presentation of who Lola needs to be. And unfortunately, in the community theater world in Calgary and in Calgary in general, a lot of our BIPOC individuals, because there's been such a wonderful surgence towards diversity and inclusive casting and work, that a lot of our BIPOC performers are scooped up by people that are paying them, which means the idea of doing it just for fun Yep, And having the talent level and the vocal chops and the attitude and the performance and the acting that you need for someone like Lola, you are one in a million in our in our city and zero in 1.4 million. Basically, yeah, it's it's it was so when we went through auditions, we started on day one and we went, uh oh, so we started thinking about who was in the lineup to audition that we could potentially put in the role and then in walks Felix. Good old Felix Yoner. Oh, I love Felix so much. <laughs> Felix, I worked with Felix on Priscilla and fell in love with Felix then. And Felix came in and sang their heart out, walked out of that room and the whole table leaned over and we were like, 
I didn't even think about that. And then the whole story changed again. Uh, Felix is a very stunning trans man and, and proud of their transness. And, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful way to tell the story in a different light. And we played with different ideas. And I talked one-on-one with Felix about how they would want to be presented in this. And, and with trans issues being such an issue in society right now, that, that, that bringing in a trans individual to play Lola, a trans man to play a heterosexual male that is a cross-dresser, yeah. the excitement was too much for me. And it, it, it changed the way that I wanted to tell the story. And it changes the way a lot of the lines and the songs and the show hit. And we had a second amazing uh, trans individual, Jack, known as Jack Omarosa in the drag world, come in and also blow us away. And it became like the battle. And Jack is now one of the angels. Felix got Lola. They both blew us away in the idea of the heart and soul that they brought in auditions. Mm-hmm. Like you, we, everyone, there wasn't a dry eye in, in auditions with wow. these individuals in front of us because we could feel the, the amount of emotion and drive and everything they had within them exploding out in their audition because they felt the connection to this role. So we had a small hiccup. Everyone's going to be expecting Lola to be a black man. Yeah, or at least a person of color. Or at least a person of color. And Harvey and Cindy have laid it out very specifically. Oh, we're on a first name basis, just so you know. Oh, that's um, wonderful. We're best friends now. When you lay it out, they laid it out, it goes to a black individual, a person of color, and then marginalized community. Yeah. And without saying it, they say, no one straight should be, no cis white man should be playing Lola, right. which is true, and I agree. Yeah. And I think that being able to have it this It makes lens, me sad as a, a cis white guy. I'm like, oh, I will never be Lola. The the inner Lola in me weeps for that. <laughs> That's same. okay. Same. Uh, it's fine. Absolutely same. Yep. Yep. I agree. Not all roles are for everyone. So, so it sounds like audiences are going to love the angels and they're going to love Felix and Jack. What else are they going to love about this show? <clears throat> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I never. <sighs> I never approach a show by thinking about the audience. Right? You're the director. You, you have to, you're the stand-in at this point for, <laughs> but, the, for the audience. But even then, I, um, <laughs> in my world, I stopped approaching shows thinking about who was watching them. Right. Because you're going to get everyone. So if you start pandering to a specific envisioned oh, mind sure. of an audience, you're going to lose creative things. So I take it. I, again, I go back to the fact that I want people to be selfish on stage because when you are selfish on stage, the audience is there for you. Yeah. The, you are giving you instead of pandering. So I hope the audience is going to love what we did with this. And I think they will. And I know people like we had people on the production team that haven't seen anything done before. Yesterday was our first stumble through of the whole show. Mm-hmm. And our lighting director, Ben, was like, okay. <laughs> wow okay yeah we got um i got a lot of a lot of things to do and i was like yes you do that's a lot of lights there's a lot of lights it's and it's 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 exciting because having the show coming up it's three weeks away from right now and i'm uh i'm i'm vibrating at nerves of getting everything done in time which is every show three weeks before it goes up no of course i just think that this is going to take frc and community theater to a new level Wow. This is a big 
a big undertaking. We took on a lot bringing on this show and like the story of it, what we've done choreographically and directing and costume choices and community involvement outside of community theater. We're doing an, an additional show on the 27th of May at Twisted Element. Me and my drag sister, who is also one of the angels, host a show called Broadsway, and it's a full Broadway review drag show where we go in and we perform the songs from Broadway that we want to perform, and you're just there to see it. So it goes back and lends itself to that selfishness of us wanting to do what we want to do. So we now have taken our next show and transformed it into like a practice run for our new angels. Mm-hmm. So we have Harrison Bentley and Ian Rep, who are not drag performers, who are in our angel crew. And they have done drag, they have done lots of performing, but they haven't actually performed as a drag performer. So me and Nada sat down and we went, here's the idea. We're going to take this show and we're going to highlight all the drag performers from Kinky Boots and we're going to bring them up and they're going to get to do a number, which means the every other drag performer in the show, Julianne Carrots, also known as Fred, who is our Charlie, Peaches, who is one of our factory workers, Just Ella, who is one of the other angels, Tananuff, who is one of the angels, not enough, myself. And then we're bringing Felix and Ian and Harrison in to to have the experience of being a drag performer on a drag stage at a drag show in a drag bar so they can feel the energy of what they need to have in a theater doing a Broadway show community style. Oh, wow. So it's we're looking at that aspect of building and growing people up in this process. And I think that having that mix of that blend of experienced drag performers and new drag performers in this show gives it another layer of excitement for the audience. I mean, the choreography is okay. (laughs) The costumes are going to be amazing. How much fighting have you as the director been arguing with the choreographer in regards to this show? Has the choreographer like kind of taken too many steps and has like well the whole the whole show is in song and all of the plot is in song so really i have all of the say as to what's going on or has the director gotten to have much in the way because that is oftentimes like music started you go away director right and uh it, that has to be two parts of the self so maybe it's in in good stead to talk about this sort of thing here but uh, you are two-thirds of the vision of the show mm-hmm. with the direction and the choreography, the only one left is the musical director who has any say whatsoever as well. Who's Anne Rogenstock and my husband are sharing the role. So oh, nice. Which is nice too. So my husband, Neil West, is our orchestra director as well. And he's assistant music director. And then we have Anne Rogenstock, who's our musical director, who has done an absolute amazing job amping up um, the vocal side of it all. But to be honest, Shar and I never really had an argument. We never oh, argued good. about anything. And that was the nice part is that we work so well together in past shows that like if anything was, you know, oh, we're just not feeling this. I'm not feeling what you're feeling here. You're not feeling what I'm feeling here. As long as we've come to each other with an explanation as to why Mm -hmm. there hasn't been any headbutting, which is lovely. Now, that's different when it comes to me as director and me as choreographer. I have headbutt with myself numerous times because... I just like I have I I, again I go back to being the queen of subtext I tend to I don't want to say over direct but I tend to overfeed intentions yep but I also think that I always say I don't want the rockets because I don't like dancers and performers that are exactly the same as the one right next to them right so when it comes to my choreography and my direction I want it to be the individual but I also need you to understand what I want you to portray here 
Right. So there's a really fun balance in that. Choreographically, that's easier for me. Directing, I don't ever want to have that like, oh, Steven as a director did way too much and pushed us too far and and made us made us think too deep and and was just way too deep with everything. But I feel that as a director of any show, your job is to facilitate the telling of the story through your actors. Mm-hmm. Your actors get to make the choices. You need to direct your actors into where you're coming from for them to make those choices. Yeah. And in the process of doing both, my first directing time and and multiple choreographic histories, I found that I spent too much time focused on small things yeah little moments little moments but there's some little moments that if you don't spend the time on them they'll get blipped over exactly right i understand that there's only three lines in this scene but like we're gonna run it eight times and i want you to think about this this time and then this this time and then try it differently here and and um what if this was the intention here like what if we take this line and we flip it on its head and it means something completely different and what's been really wonderful is our cast has been so receptive to that. And and one of my favorite things when I hear is like, how did you come up with that? And I was like, I just watched you do it. Yeah. And you did it. And it made me think, no, it needs to go like this. If yep. you try it like this, we're going to hit a different emotional context. We're going to hit a different string on the guitar that's going to pre- play a prettier note at this moment. Yeah. And it it's it's been lovely. So there hasn't been a lot of like inward fighting within the direction and choreography team, which has been lovely. <laughs> That's good. I, I I didn't want to intimate that you and Char were fighting. I just was like the I internal <laughs> the internal debate. No no oh. doubt has to exist for yourself to wear both of those hats and try to not give too much credence to one when the other deserves just as much of your time. Yeah, it must and be very tough. The reason why I wanted to do both specifically was to set up my numbers choreographically. Right, it makes sense because when you have one director, one choreographer, a lot of the times I walk in with a vision and that director's like, okay, so this actor's here and this character's here and I have these three people currently dressed like this and you're like, that's completely counterintuitive to what I wanted to do. Yep. Now I have to take 30 seconds and move them all to where I need them to be to start this because I want this vision, this picturesque piece to appear in this way. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think Kinky Boots lends itself to that already. You've already talked about the fact that most of the plot is pushed forward in the songs. Most of the songs are these big, theatrical, big moments of the show. And so I think there's also a reason why Mitchell was also the director and choreographer for Kinky Boots. The first time around, it makes a great deal of sense that they would want the same brain operating for both of those mm-hmm. since you would unravel just in the sheer amount of conversation you would need to have in order to push this into existence with another person. Yeah. And to have people in the show, like have only ever seen the musical or only ever heard the music or only ever saw the movie. There wasn't someone that had the history behind it. Like me, I knew it all. Right. I've seen the documentary. (laughs) Yeah, I started from the very beginning, right. Sound of music said that's the good place to start. And I just, I grew so much in this process. And I loved it. And like the stress was worth every second of it. But That's like the, the, the inward, there wasn't an inward battle. It was how do we keep the continuity of what we've created in the acting, in the choreography. And also there is the challenge that we are in community theater, right? Yeah. We're there because we love it, right? And there's there needs to be adaptability for who we cast and and who's in it and how they move and how much experience they may have as a dancer or as a singer or as an actor and 
toss it all into a nice martini shaker, shake it up and drop it in a chilled glass with two olives and have people enjoy and love it. So that was the biggest challenge choreographically, especially with the variety and talent that we've got. Everyone in this cast is so talented in such a variety of ways. And then I'm like, all right, okay, now dance. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, you're doing this in seven inch platform thigh high boots. Wow. How has it been getting costuming for this cast? Has that been an ongoing concern? Or has that been something that you've had difficulties or complications surrounding? So we had a costumer come in. So Brittany is our amazing seamstress. Brittany was fearful of designing. So I took on the role of designing all the costumes. Oh my. But I, I am a costume designer. That's one of the things I love to do. I've done it for myself in drag. I've done it for other theater groups. I've done it for school before and had people like build my visions, which is how I like to design. I'm not a sewer. I don't know how to sew. I'm not good at it. I can do it on a pinch. So Brittany was like, if you design, I'll make your dreams come true. And I was like, okay. Wow. So costuming hasn't been a problem. Sourcing the boots was a feat for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, and so the, they're, they're on their way. They will be here. <laughs> they're not uh, here yet, but we, we're hopeful. It's one of those shows, and there's another thing in the show too, that like, it's one of those shows where the rights don't afford you the luxuries like the boots. Right. So the boots that are made for the show, you can buy them. Yeah. For like $700 a piece. Yep. Or you just make your own, right? So we went that route right everybody say yeah the whole number is choreographed and centered around the idea of the conveyor belts and like they talk about how in the show the idea of the queens coming in on the conveyor belts and the conveyor belt is like delivering the new product and the 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 queens become the production line and all this and i'm sitting there going okay so how are we going to do that in community theater yeah these are great questions we looked into it had to ask them yeah we looked into it we don't have the budget no we can rent a single conveyor belt from mti for two thousand dollars plus shipping and handling for a week wow that's only for a week i just finished directing yeoman of the guard right we had eight yeoman on the stage we had to make their yeoman outfits because renting a yeoman outfit was fifty six dollars a day a costume yeah not happening four hundred dollars a day for basically what would have been two weeks is fifty six hundred dollars for just eight people in a 26 person production yeah if you wanted one if they even fit one conveyor belt was two thousand dollars right one conveyor belt one two thousand dollars that's not so bad you know but because it's a like a big set piece for the so whole show six thousand dollars which is more than our entire set cost us so exactly. like that's more than our budget right um so that was the number that caused me the most why let me like how many angels are there there's six angels and seven hundred dollar boots for six angels that's yeah forty two hundred dollars in just shoes like that's also more than our whole costume budget exactly what is your costume budget oh you want to know the actual you want the numbers nobody ever gets to tell these things right? i don't even so, know if i'm allowed to well you can tell us what the budget is we won't know if you went over or under budget right we can at least talk about what the budget looks like because our set and our costume budget is identical wow that's the best way i can put it we're looking at four thousand dollars to build a factory yep and four thousand dollars to basically dress the angels because yeah. everybody else is street clothes which is lovely it's been a great experience we have to recognize that 
budgets have to stretch as far and as wide as they can. So we landed into the idea of the show. Yeah. We, we, we looked to the show for inspiration on how to afford what we needed for it. And the idea of this skeezy underground club blue in London where Charlie stumbles upon Lola trying to save her and meets all these weird humans to him, these drag performers, they're at that club every night doing the same numbers over and over and over again, entertaining a new crowd every single day. That's how we looked at it. So their shoes probably are going to stay pretty consistent. Yeah. So we did one pair of boots for every angel that they will wear for the entire show. That and makes then sense. they have their finale boots, which oh my are God. the ones that we are bringing in from a wonderful company called uh, Pleaser, mm-hmm. which is the supplier for drag queens and strippers. Oh, nice. Yeah. But that's even more fun about that is we're throwing all the factory workers in them too at the end, right? Because we all know the end As of the show. If you're listening to this, you know that it happens. If not, yeah. spoiler alert, sorry, you're going to see. Everybody's in the boots. Everybody's in some sexy thighs. Look, it's called kinky boots. And if everyone isn't wearing them at the end. Ooh, correction. One person is not wearing right. them in the end. Yeah. One poor soul doesn't get to wear the boots in the end. Which is, it's the person that falls in love with Charlie because they're the only ones that don't leave the stage from the scene before. Oh, so they don't get a chance to put the boots on. There is not a chance. I did that on purpose. Right. Very specifically on purpose. See, this is the sort of thing that people are going to... You want an audience to see those moments that you've carefully cultivated the entirety of the time. So having listened to this, people can now look. Oh, they didn't get to leave. That's why they're Mm -hmm. not in the boots. There's one more thing costume-wise that I'm obsessed with. Share. That I can't... They're like, you're going to put that in your director's notes, right? No. I'm not because it's not about them. It's about me and it's about what happens in the show. All of Lola's costumes coincide with the correlation of colors of roses Mm -hmm. and their meanings for gifts. Oh, nice. So when you go through the story, we start off Lola's in red. Mm -hmm. She loves red. Red is love, passion, sex, marriage, relationships. And then I have... Getting voted off The Bachelor. Right? (sighs) Sadness. (laughs) I'm giving you this rose because so each costume that we see Lola in coincides with a rose color and its meaning. So we see her in purple instead of red in a scene where she gets to play off the idea of purple is for princes, which is a line that Mm -hmm. Lola says. And that also leads to the fact that like Lola is, is a man and royalty. And in the following scene, Lola comes in as a man and this so like we see them in purple and the big one for me is everybody say yeah where I wanted that like real push is to the business partnership is starting so that business partnership is the buildup between the yellow rose which is new adventure beginning and bosses and red for that love and passion and them becoming this like symbiotic relationship of passion and need and work and new business ventures so this the subtext queen was like okay so every single costume that we see lola in is going to be all tied to rose colors that's a wonderful thing and like pale yellow and gold is is tied to forgiveness and acceptance and apologies and i have lola in that for um her final ballad where she's singing to her father it's just it's a whole different layer that i like adding to these shows and i love playing with it 
and getting to do it in costumes in this show specifically too was just a lot of fun even in the angels finale i'm giving no spoilers to it i played it up in a way that was more modern and kind of also blended in with who is playing the angel and not the angel themselves so i'm lending to the actual human the actor and the actress as opposed to being like okay so here's this person and here's that person and here's this person because they're very specific in the show and i wanted that to be a a celebration of these drag artists and i really believe future drag artists that are playing these angels to have that play of who they are in the show and not them as an actor in the show in the finale so all of their costumes i've designed specifically for them because i know they're gonna buy them they better and uh, (laughs) wear them outside of it and it's it's I've, I've switched up some things that people would be expecting. I kept a couple things that people will want and I just wanted to, to play. And that's why we're front row center players is because we play. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you're three weeks out from the first night from opening night. What does that look like? Where are your stresses right now? And what are you excited about? over the next three weeks well you know everyone's always excited for tech week it's the most fun time it's easygoing lighthearted, fun campy no tech week is always stressful we have a schedule in place for our sides of things sure what's that look like what's your what's your weekly schedule for kinky boots so yesterday was our first stumble through the whole show saturday is the last time that something new is being done okay so the last thing that i i don't like doing shows in order i don't like it i don't like it as a choreographer as a director makes sense if yep. it was a play we would start at you start at the top of act play. one finish with yeah. final scene when it comes to musicals especially something like this where i am now challenging individuals that may have never put on a pair of heels before to perform a five and a half minute number in a pair of thigh high boots i want them to have that choreography completely memorized comfortable in their body before I'm like, okay, now go. Here's your stripper boots. Have fun. Right. So we jumped all over the place. Also with our production tr- crew, we've had such wild and crazy conflicts and scheduling and everything. I travel a lot for drag performing. So I was out of town a lot of weekends and finishing my education degree and, 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 and. Oh, so, so no wonder you needed a co-director. Because yeah. just like somebody had to be there yep. to bear witness to the to the rehearsal mm-hmm. well and also shari has such beautiful intentions when it comes to a lot of these scenes that as a queer individual become uncomfortable with and my fear mm. would be to underplay them yeah because i wouldn't want to to hit the trauma or the triggering side of it all yeah but Shar and i talk specifically about with her leading those scenes I want it to be triggering. I want it to have that mild trauma to the audience. Yeah. You're like, I feel uncomfortable now. That's good. It's what I want. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly. good to know. Yeah. So it's, uh, what, am, what is the schedule like? So Saturday we put together the opening number. So the first thing that happens in the show is the last thing that we touched. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think that it's all planned out. It's just telling me the, the, the cast what they need to do come saturday um which is great and then we have the second half of saturday to polish and clean and finish mild transitions that we had you know small hiccups with yesterday during our first run i've never done a show that first stumble through was as smooth as yesterday when it came to line reading choreography transitions between scenes oh no how do you get them from peaking (laughs) before the show goes up (laughs) 
I love you, everyone that's listening to this. They haven't peaked yet, which is lovely. Wow. If they so, haven't had a botulous. So from there. Slip, that's amazing. Right? From the cast perspective. Yeah. We got work to do still. Oh, good. We've got three weeks. Yeah, you're supposed not, to have work to do. I want there to be work. I don't want. I have people being like, I'm stressed out. And I'm like, stop being stressed out. We have three weeks. You're fine. Yeah. Well, be stressed out. And that's okay. Just don't push it on anybody else right now, please. Yeah. <laughs> from our side of everything. Yeah. Set props everything that we oh, have yeah, on the yeah. side of it all yeah. that was where there was no hiccups oh that's good and that's normally where there's a huge panic yeah there is usually and we have it, it's it was a panic at the beginning of our of our yeah. process and it's way less of a panic now and it's lovely so like the final nail in the coffin happened today and the order for the boots went in and that's the only thing i'm stressed about is them getting here in time for opening yeah um but i know this company and i know how fast they ship and i know that they will be here before Tech Week at least. Yeah. They will be here before Tech Week at least. They will be here before Tech Week at least. And that's the last thing we have. We now, we finally have a set builder. That was something that we were missing for a while. And another great opportunity to bring someone new in. A friend of a friend. Yep. Was like, I used to build sets for, the, I'm sorry, what? Tell me again? Yeah. Even today, I was substituting at a high school here in Calgary. And during the tech theater class, the shop teacher came in to rebuild the set that was taken down for a band concert that had to go back up for the dance show coming up and the set that he built with the students. And I was like, this is amazingly built. And he goes, you think so? Or the kids did it. And I went, but the ingenuity that you did with the set and it's, it's, it's a really interesting set with like rotating walls and stuff that like change scenes. And I was like, have you ever done, thought about doing anything for theater before? And he's like, well, I've built for, for the teacher here before. And I was like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. So what are you doing on June 3rd and 4th? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you want to come help build a set? I can show you. And I pulled up the SketchUp rendering of it. And I was like, this is what we need to do. And we have to get these built separately. And he's like, well, how about I tackle that before we even open, before you go to Tech Week? So he's building one of our platforms for us, like one of our traveling platforms for us in the next week for us, just because he wants to. That's wonderful. And then I found out that he wants to partner with community theater groups to have his shop class build the sets off-site because he knows people in community theater and he knows we don't have the time or space. Like we have one day to erect an yeah. entire factory in that yeah. little black box at, yeah. at the BCAT. Same thing happens at the pump house. Yeah. You're one day. That's why you have as big a cast as you have. So you can do all of the things that you need to do because it's a big set. A large Was portion it? of them will be gluing things to boots. Yes. <laughs> large portion of mine were painting. Yeah. Well, and that's the nice thing is because we were trying to figure out how we were going to fit this all under budget. Yeah. We lucked out. We have enough platforms to build our factory already. Oh, wow. Which is great. So we only have to pay for the legs. Then we're like, oh, this is a big set. We have to paint it all. And I was like, no. Wallpaper. Oh, lovely. Peel and stick brick wallpaper. Yeah. Cheap, effective. Wow. Put it over top of a... Uh, and a, it looks good. A rough plywood. Yep. It looks like real brick. It like, does. Everything is... And I'm going to knock on wood. Everything is falling into place. Lovely. So we have final touch-ups and opening number on Saturday. Yep. Full run on Tuesday. Full run on Thursday. Wow. Full run notes, music cleaning, choreography cleaning the following Saturday. A full run with orchestra. How big is the orchestra? Ooh, that's a good question. I believe it's 12. Neil's going to kill wow. me if I get that wrong. Well, it's 12 at any given time. There might be some people that are stepping in, stepping out, right? They can't make all of the shows. We have replacements for anyone that can't. So like the, the, the orchestra will be full the whole time. That's amazing. Which is lovely. Yeah. Have you got to hear the orchestra yet? Yes. Sitzbro was phenomenal. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> phenomenal. 
because there's what is there there's 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 reeds trumpet there's guitar there's bass violin bass percussion second percussion two keyboard parts this is the first time that neil's had the opportunity to play and conduct at the same time so it's set up for the conductor to play one of the the parts yeah and he started it off very stressed out about having to know the music inside and out to conduct yeah but also to have to play at the same time and bless the arranger to pieces it's hard yeah no it is it's a hard score good so bring hard. it yeah you and made all those you made all those poor dancers dance in seven inch platforms they're working too so if everybody's working on it the band pulled it out though they they're wonderful. there and they sound so good and like, do is, they look good in their heels or they don't <laughs> we were hoping <laughs> that we could have finagled some way to have everyone in a pair of boots we, we really wanted to have the budget in order to just like have everyone walk away with a pair of thigh high boots in honor of the show that didn't happen no anybody wanting to donate to frc's kinky boots please reach out at info at frontrowcenterplayers.ca that'd be great but first get your tickets because the show is doubtlessly going to sell out it has only been around for 10 years the fact that a community theater company is now putting on kinky boots that says remarkable things not only about the trust that the production companies have in what frc does nowadays but also in the quality of work that uh, that is going to be put up in Beddington. You want to tell listeners when is it happening and what are the dates? We open on June 9th at the Beddington Community Arts Theater Center, the Bacac. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we go until the 24th. Right now we have Tuesday to Sunday run, matinees on Saturday and evening on saturday and just matinees on sunday unless you all buy tickets now we just hit the over 40 percent sold moment yesterday which was beautiful because we're still three weeks out and if we do happen to sell out and you missed a ticket keep an eye out because there's a potential that we might be able to add a sunday evening show but that all is dependent on you as an audience buying your tickets and coming to see us really interesting fact if you uh want to see me in the show (laughs) i am an angel only on closing night (laughs) <laughs> as there is a wedding that is happening that is taking one of our angels out and it's it's been an interesting uh journey to be like oh okay so can yeah, i know you can do this you're gonna look so good doing it and then yeah. turning around being like uh-oh that means i have to do that too yeah okay that's hilarious fun be- and i i'm smiling away because i just interviewed katie Fernell, director of 12th night from dudney players and it wasn't a wedding it was one of the actors is in the one act provincial finals mm sir toby belch one of the leads in the show so she had to step in that one day as well so part of that was may 26th come see me i'll be doing the show that day and that's if you're listening that still hasn't happened yet so go check out (laughs) katie in the role of sir toby belch and then on closing night you could come and see steven yeah full and large as one of the angels that's wonderful it's a lot of pressure and I, i actually i had a breakdown two rehearsals ago because we were running all the numbers and I've always, for video purposes, for choreography, like dropped myself into whatever angel may not have been a rehearsal that day. Right. Biggest mistake I've ever made in my entire life. Because when it came back to going to do the track that I needed to do, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I was like, 
I can't. You have to lead by example here. You're the director choreographer. You came up with this stuff. How do you not know where you need to be or how you're getting there, your path or or the choreography of itself? It's, it's, it's fair, Stephen. You didn't have to watch those parts. They were there when they got to where they needed to be. You didn't need to I know. Didn't, I, didn't need to, I, I told them how to get there, yeah. but then it was pff, out of because my head. That, this is the spot where you needed them to be and they were over here. How they get there, that's on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Just, it's on you for closing night. Don't Yeah. And that's yeah, no pressure. No pressure for closing night. And then I'm like, I, I already know that I'm going to be a mess come closing night. This show has had such an emotional impact on on me and the cast and and everyone involved. It's been a, a really dark time in this city when it comes to queer art. Uh, we have a lot of people that have pushed against what we do as queer artists. Yep. And that was my biggest concern as we started this adventure because there's kids in this show. Mm-hmm. And I was very firm, very firm at the time that we started meeting. I was being stalked by a religious group here in the city. They were showing up at my shows. They were preaching outside my shows. They were calling me horrific names and those entering my shows horrific names. It has been escalated to the point where the leader of this group has been in and out of prison. I have a restraining order in the works against this man. And when it came time to casting, I was like, we need to figure out how to not have kids in the show. Yeah. Because I do not want children involved only for the face sake of the company. Yeah. And if these people who stalk me see that I'm doing this and know that I'm a part of it and they do their research. They're not, they, they don't do research when it comes to actual facts about real life, but they'll do their research about people who they hate. It drives me nuts. Every time a social issue is brought to the fore in the media, it's always a marginalized group. It's always, so you, your kids are scared. You know, they always make it about your children, even though most of them don't have children or it's not really about that for them. But it always makes me so mad because mm-hmm. obviously something else is going on. Something else is happening. And this is that big distractor that riles the people up. And it's only when it's at the heat of the furor of it that it, that we find out what actually is going on that would genuinely cause concern in society and genuinely make us angry with our politicians and all of those capitalist controllers behind them. Mm-hmm. What What is happening right now that we're not getting to hear about because they're so busy making it about drag? Yeah, because we're the worst people in the world. Apparently, but not here and <laughs> not in June because... Coming soon is Kinky Boots, Front Row Center Players production. It is going to be phenomenal. It is going to be a highlight hit of the season and is doubtlessly going to receive every single possible nomination for the Cat Awards. (laughs) And I cannot wait to see it. And you yourselves should get a ticket, throw some money in the face of everything that's going on in the world today Mm -hmm. and come see some passionate people create something with no agenda save that queer stories deserve to be told because queer people have problems with their dads too (laughs) as Uh, well as straight people a lot of queer that's a that's a heated comment and we all have father issues one way or the other this is the way of the world and the way things work is you work your way out from upon it but nonetheless another element to this entire 
thing, the reason why I'm presenting this and wanted to get you here and talk about it is because this was a labor of love. If you haven't heard that in Stephen's voice by the end of this, I think you should be very clear in recognizing that when a labor of love with as much intention and forcefulness as this is coming through, you're going to want to see it. It, it is a show that cannot be missed and it will exist in the ephemera of time. It is only going to be in that one space at that one time for that one moment. And theater beyond that does not exist. So get your tickets today and I'll see you at the show. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.